Player Profiler Posse, welcome back to another installment of the First Mover Podcast. I will be joined shortly here by a very special guest, uh, a fellow member of the One Week Season Contributor Crew. But looking at this slate in Week 8, we finally have a like mega full slate. We have no buys. We have 13 games on the main slate, but we have a slew of low game totals. So it's going to have a lot of feel similar to some of these slates that we've had in the past. But you know the deal. We're here. We're getting a first look at player pricing release on DraftKings. So let's jump into it. So as I teased here before we got into it, I'm joined by Zandamir. Zandamir is having some uh, issues with his webcam. Uh, he just got a brand new computer because he is in the midst of a major life change, uh, stopping his work and now dedicating more time to fantasy football. So that's exciting. But with that, Zandamir, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing great. Yeah, unemployed now. So, uh, you know, go. clearly I'm, I'm uh, begging for quarters to put together the money for a webcam. Um, but uh, hopefully <laughs> I'll, I'll collect enough soon. And you'll be able to see my wonderful face as we uh, as we talk through shows like this. Yeah, dude. I've and I, I wanted to I wanted to have you on. Um, it's been difficult with my personal schedule on Mondays uh, when I record these, but I wanted to have you on. I'll have to have you on again once you get a webcam, so we can see your bright, beautiful, shining face. Yeah, I would love that. I'm I'm super excited to be able to have more time to you know invest in. In fantasy, in DFS, in you know player props and content, um, this has really become my passion in the last few years, and it's exciting to be able to, you know, dive into that full time and see if that uh, can make that work. Well, tell me a little bit about what you have going on over at One Week Season before we jump into the meat and potatoes here. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, so at One Week Season, I am kind of the the showdown specialist. Uh, I for all the major island games, um, you know, Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night. Uh, early morning Sunday for when there's when there's London games, <clears throat> etc. Uh, I write the NFL article, uh, the NFL Edge article for that game from a showdown point of view because you know showdown is it's not a new format anymore, right? It's been around for several years, but that really when it first kicked off, that really became my niche in the DFS space. And uh, you know, new new formats tend to have a lot of edge because it takes people a while to figure it out. So that's what I was really focusing on. And I started playing heavily in Showdown and creating content for Showdown. And you know, I, I do write content for other things for main slate stuff too. But like that's, I'd say Showdown is really my my niche. That's my thing. What about uh, we've got some new stuff going on with this Props Insider? I just threw it on the screen. Throw me a real quick elevator pitch on what's going on with that. Oh, Props Insider. So yeah, so if you haven't uh, heard of prop betting, um, prop the TLDR prop betting is instead of betting on like the 49ers to win the game, you're betting on specific player outcomes. So like Christian McCaffrey to have over or under 77.5 rushing yards uh, would be a, an example of a prop bet. And prop betting is you know wildly profitable, wildly plus EV because... They're much smaller markets than um, <clears throat> than betting sides and totals and spreads, and so they're just there are so many more bets available, and books are taking in less money on them compared to what they, the huge amounts they take in on like money line bets and spread bets. Yeah. So books are not able to defend those lines as effectively. You can find inefficiencies. <clears throat> so our props insider package 
we've expanded it this season to cover multiple sports. We covered it. We had a great MLB season. We do tennis, we do golf, we do football, and we do basketball. And so NBA season starting tomorrow, which is super exciting because there's, you know, NBA, NBA season is the, the best uh, prop sport. And from my perspective, it's the most profitable one because there are so mm-hmm. many games, there's so much volume. Um, and so, you know, we've got this service, we've got, you can see the profit. It's, uh, it's 106 units. We are using a, we're using a hundred dollar unit for the purposes of tracking. Um, mm-hmm. So we're up 106 units in 2023 already on those other sports and NBA season hasn't even started yet, which is historically our most profitable sport. So super excited for this. It's going to be a huge NBA season. We've got a really sharp team that we've continued to invest in and expand to encompass more sports and just get really sharp people on board. So I'm super excited about this NBA season. We made about 90 units last season, roughly in NBA. And so I'm, I have, you know, can never know the future, right? But I have every expectation that we're going to match or beat that this year, which is, you know, just super exciting. In the fantasy sports space, there is no more plus EV thing to do than prop betting. Like I love DFS. I love best ball. I think that those are things you can have an edge in if you're good. But prop betting is the most consistently profitable and predictable uh, area of how you can make money as a sports fan. So if you're interested in it, check it out on the site. Um, promo code props gets you $50 off the first month. And if you have any questions about it, hit us up on Twitter or hop in the one week season discord uh, and chat with us. We're happy to talk through it. See if it's right for you. Go check it out. Handing out the promo codes as well. Love it, dude. Go check out props. And we saw when I had that on the screen that there's only 150 spots remaining. Why do we limit the number of people that can get into that service? Yeah. So one of the interesting things about launching Props Insider last year, last year was our first year, is that we got to kind of look around and see what other people were doing and see where they'd succeeded and where they'd struggled. Props is a soft market. It's not that hard to be profitable betting props. At some point, what becomes harder than finding profitable bets is getting money down. Because, you know, when a whole bunch of people all go show up and start betting the same thing, Right. If we had a thousand subscribers and they all rush to DraftKings, they're all trying to bet Christian McCaffrey over 77.5 rushing yards at the same time. That line is going to move really quick. And mm-hmm. so really big prop services with lots of subscribers. The challenge they have is it's hard to get the lines. You know, they can post a line and in five or 10 seconds, that line moves because the books are moving them algorithmically. Right. And it's not a human yeah. watching and being like, oh, look, a bunch of money's coming. In. I better shift it. You know, the computer is seeing it moving the line. So. We decided to limit the number of subscribers because we feel that's the best way to make sure that we can really deliver a great value to our customers is trying to keep the subscriber count at a reasonable limit so that the lines we bet don't shift within seconds. Lines are going to move. And I honestly would not trust a prop service that didn't move lines to some extent because that means that they probably aren't very good at what they're doing. (laughs) Um, But we want there to be a reasonable amount of time so the average person can fire up their sports book and, and get the bet we select before the line jumps. And so that's why we decided to cap it. We think that's the best way to deliver a great service uh, where our customers are highly likely to be able to actually replicate the results that we're getting, which are, that we're officially tracking. Super sharp, man. Thanks for uh, keying us in on that. We're going to take a real quick break to hear from the Podfather about the new and improved DFS Dominator app. 
DFS getting harder every year, but we're here to make it easier with the DFS Dominator because I know a lot of optimizers keep coming out. Oh, our optimizer. What about this optimizer? But that optimizer. Well, we have a cash game optimizer that leverages the projections from Dario, Billy, the award-winning projections at playerprofiler.com and builds the best lineups for cash games that have both upside and stability because that's what you want. It's a couple clicks, boom, boom, boom. You get the best possible lineup for your cash games. But for tournaments, traditional optimizers don't work. That's why we have a lineup genius, which takes you through the process of building lineups the way they should be built. Which quarterbacks do you want to be overweight on? Then building stacks, then setting runbacks, then optimizing and generating up to 150 lineups that you can easily import into DraftKings, into FanDuel. That's the DFS Dominator. It's only $45 a year. Not not a week. A, a year. A year. Just go to Player Profiler, click on the DFS Dominator from the menu, and you won't be sorry. <laughs> And we're back. Thank you for that quick shout there, Podfather. We are back. I'm here with Zandamir, uh, primary contributor over at One Week Season. X, let's talk about this slate coming up, man. I alluded to it in the intro where we don't have bye weeks this week and week eight. We have 13 team, or thirteen games on the main slate coming off of two back-to-back weeks where we had 10 and 11 uh, but the overall feel of this slate is we don't have a lot of game high game totals. We have the New York Jets, New York Giants, 36 and a half. We got the Vikings and the Packers, 42 and a half. Jaguars and the Steelers, 42. The Saints and the Colts at 43 and a half. The Falcons in Tennessee, 37.0. The Houston Texans, the Carolina Panthers at 43. Eagles, Commanders, 43 and a half. Good Lord, stop me when we got some interest here. We got the New England Patriots, the Miami Dolphins, uh, a subdued for the Dolphins, 47.0 game total. The Rams and Cowboys, 45 and a half. The Browns and the Seahawks, 40.0. Still going here. The Chiefs and the Broncos, 46. That seems low. And finally, to round us out, the Bengals and the 49ers, 45 and a half. And the Ravens and the Cardinals at 44 and a half. X, what's your immediate reaction to this kind of overall macro view of the slate? <laughs> there's no, there's no high game total, um, right? It's so common that normally we see a, at least one game that's close to or over fifty, and yeah. they're all but like the the quote unquote good games. Uh, there's no game that stands out from a game total perspective, right? Um, there are games that could clearly be good game environments to target. But there's no one game that's like, aha, this is where it's this is where people are going to go. This is clearly the best game environment of the week, um, which is super interesting. And I think that, you know, we're also seeing game totals start to react to the lower scoring environment we've seen in the NFL. Yeah. Um, I saw some stat in the last couple of days that if you like, I don't remember the number, but if you just blindly betted every single NFL under this year, you would have you would be way, way up. Um <clears throat> So we're starting to see Vegas react to that. And so these, you know, the scoring in the NFL is down. And so finally the game totals are coming down and we have to shift our perspective a little bit, right? A few years ago, we we would just automatically hone in and be like, where are the 50 total games? And that'd be like the first pass through looking at, looking at Vegas totals is where are the fifties? Well, the fifties are going to be a lot rarer these days. 
And that doesn't mean it's a bad slate necessarily. It just means that the NFL is evolving as it always does. So we have to start shifting our perspective and saying, where are the 45s? And then of the 45s, yeah. where, which ones stand the best chance of, uh, of really blowing up into something bigger than that? So we just saw the Denver Broncos pretty much eliminate and remove the Green Bay Packers from the face of the earth for an entire half of play. They shut the Packers out for the first full half. Is this a case of the Broncos are uh, <laughs> figuring some things out on defense, or is this a case of the Packers are absolute shite? I think it's a mix. I think it's more the latter, but it's a mix of both, right? Like, for one, <laughs> yeah. the Broncos always play better at home, as most teams do, but the Broncos have a more robust home field advantage than most because of the altitude, right? Like, flying into a high-altitude spot and then engaging in a really intense physical exertion for a few hours is hard, right? Like, so the, it's not uncommon to see offenses struggle in Denver because they just get winded. Green Bay has been an inconsistent offense because they are primarily made up of, you know, a young quarterback and young wide receivers who are talented. We've seen the upside from guys like Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson and Jalen Reed uh, and Jordan Love. We've seen their upside this season, but we've also seen them struggle in other areas. So that doesn't surprise me. I think the Broncos, the Broncos are not a, a I don't believe that they are a historically bad defense. They're a bad defense, but I don't yeah. think they're one of the worst defenses we've seen in the last 10 years of NFL play. And that's kind of what they looked like early on in the season, right? It, obviously capped by the dismantling by the Dolphins where they gave up 10 touchdowns. Um, so they're not good, but I don't think they're, you know, give up five touchdowns every game bad. And that's important, right? Because we have the Chiefs coming into mile high uh, to take on the Denver Broncos this week. So do you think that this is another potential letdown spot for a team like the Chiefs? Or do you think after what we saw them do to the Chargers this past week, do you think this is an absolute eruption spot for Patrick Mahomes and company? The Chiefs are such a hard offense to figure out because they have like they have one weapon, right? They have Travis Kelsey. And then they have this merry-go-round of wide receivers who they use in they, they attempt to use in creative and interesting ways, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. But they don't have like another really, really good pass catcher since Tyreek Hill left. You know, they've got they've got yeah. Rice, who is a promising rookie um, and could evolve to have a great career. They've got Tony who, you know, flashes upside, but drops balls all over the place and is, is hurt all the time. They've got, you know, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who is not exactly known as an elite pass catcher. You know, they've got Hardman who last year, they had a lot of success with scheming work specifically in the red zone. They just got him back. They have Sky Moore who so far has been a disappointment in his young career, but it's like they have these guys who they use in this carousel and it's, you know, most of, most of them are either young guys who we don't, you know, they have, a, they have a lot of upside, but we don't really know their true talent level or they don't achieve it consistently. Or they have kind of older veterans like MVS who, you know, he's a deep threat guy who can occasionally catch a deep touchdown. He did last week, but is wildly yeah. inconsistent. And so that makes the Chiefs hard for me to evaluate. They generally find a way to score points, but their offense has not been the world-beating offense that we're used to seeing uh, from Kansas City this year. They've scored over 30 points twice in seven games so far. 
they've, they've been held to under 20 points twice, once by these Broncos at home uh, in week six. And, you know, the other three games, they were in the 20s. So are they are they still a good offense? I mean, yeah, right? Like, it's still got Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is an amazing elite quarterback. Are Would I say they're the favorite to lead the NFL in points scored again, as they have in past seasons? Probably not. Um, not with the Dolphins just seeming to go nuclear every week. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think that they are more likely than not to find some success here because I don't think that Denver is really, you know, I think if they're below average offense and the Chiefs are an above average, or sorry, Denver's a below average defense and I think the Chiefs are an above average offense. Um, but I don't know that it's a, this is the game that I want to focus all of my energy and effort on. I'm not sure that that's what I, you know, that that's how I view it. Yeah. And even last week where they're putting up 40 plus points on the scoreboard uh, or how many they score? 30. I don't even remember now. 31, 31. And when they're putting up 30 points on the scoreboard, we look at their snap rates. I mean, Travis Kelsey, even in his eruption that he had, and this Patrick Mahomes absolutely dismantled the chargers defense. They, he threw for 300 and what 40 yards in the first half insane but Travis Kelsey still played only 75% of the offensive snaps Marquez Valdez Scantling was the highest pass catcher uh, or sorry the highest wide receiver at 69% snap rate Sky Moore 60% Rasheed Rice 59% and then they brought these kind of rotational pieces in Kadarius Tony 19% um, Justin Ross even 25% Michael Hardman in his first game back with the team 16% so where is the projectable median projection here on this team outside of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey does not exist. So if we're attacking the spot and we're probably going to see increased Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey ownership after the week they put up last week, um, it becomes very difficult to build something around this team because they're not going to project well. I mean, Isaiah Pacheco priced at 6,100. He even saw only 53% of the offensive snaps. Um, we had... Jarek McKinnon, who wasn't up here, Jarek McKinnon actually scored a 40-something yard touchdown that was called back for holding, um, but he is a guy that is extremely boomer bust. Uh, you see his two-touchdown game here in week three against Chicago, really the only fantasy production that he has had this season. So, yeah, all those things combined with the uh, recency bias stuff associated with the Chiefs, the fact that they're playing who has been on historically bad paces Denver Broncos defense. Um, we're probably going to see a lot of Patrick Mahomes. We're going to see a lot of paired with Travis Kelsey, but outside that it becomes very, very difficult to attack this spot. Um, anything else to say about these chiefs? Yeah. And I'll just like, you need a lot. They're both 8,400. Yeah. So you, and, and you know, like the four X five X salary multipliers don't work as well at the very high and low ends of the salary spectrum. Right. Because raw points mean something too. But yeah. you'd need at least 60 from the two of them to feel good, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And that's sure. not even quite 4X. But given their salary, you know, given their high salaries, like if you got 60, you'd feel okay at least. You know, you probably need 65, 70 to really be like, yeah, now I'm cooking. Even in their absolute explosion last week, they got to 75. Now that's really good. But that was, I mean, like you said, like Patrick Mahomes threw 340 yards in the first half. Yeah. You know, he threw for four touchdowns. He got to like 38 points. Travis Kelsey, you know, had a 
179 yards with a touchdown, got to 38.9 DraftKings points. Like those are ceiling games. Those, you know, when we say ceiling, we usually mean 80th to 90th percentile. That was probably a beyond, you know, 80th to 90th percentile outcome for those guys. And you needed that to feel good. Keep in mind the explosion also is sort of in, you have to take into account the context of the week. Only two skill position players last week on DraftKings scored over 30 fantasy points, right? It was Travis Kelsey and Dante Foreman. It was a very low scoring week. And so, you know, even if Travis Kelsey does explode, like if Travis Kelsey gets 38.9 points again, he's going to be in the winning lineup. Like that's an amazing score. But at their prices, like they're priced for perfection is the point I'm trying to make. And, you know, they're not priced for good outcomes. They're priced for elite outcomes. And those, it's just, it's hard to find elite outcomes on a consistent basis, even from elite yeah, teams. Yeah, 100%. Travis Kelsey is a guy who has, his dot has come down when compared to last season. We don't know if that's his age. We don't know if that's because he started the season with a hyperextended knee. Um, but those extreme yardage outlier type production games are going to be fewer and far between uh, fewer and far over in, in between here with Travis Kelsey. He's done it. He surpassed 124 receiving yards each of the last two weeks. Um, but this becomes a situation where it's a little bit harder to pencil Travis Kelsey in for these elite fantasy production games. Um, yeah. I don't know. Another interesting aspect of like the overall landscape of the NFL this year is this like heavy transition to too high base defenses. When we see two, uh, defenses are in too high, over 60% of their defensive snaps this year, that is the highest rate over the last 10 seasons. And that's kind of muted and led to some of these lower game totals that we're seeing. With that, like we're talking about how we attack that we really see offenses doing three primary things. There is the pre-snap motion. We saw it flash on the screen watching Sunday night football last night with the uh, Miami dolphins. They are leading the league in pre-snap motion rate at over 75% of their snaps. Um, That is one way. Another way is via these like downfield Z type wide receivers that are utilized as quote unquote safety manipulators. They're working downfield. They're trying to, influence one of those safeties to a side of the field to open things up uh, elsewhere. The last piece is this ability of a quarterback to have body positioning, utilizing once he takes this, the snap, his, his dropbacks, um, his body positioning, his hips, his, his head, his eyes, uh, his torso. And that is kind of the final piece here. There's a few quarterbacks that are doing that very, very well. Geno Smith is actually doing that very, very well this season. Has not had the production, really. Um, the other quarterback that is doing that very, very well is a guy in Tua Tungo Bailoa. We saw that last night on his touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill. He's basically, he's left-handed, so he's squared up. He has have his, his eyes and his body facing the right-hand side of the field, and then he brings it back to the left with a quick snap and a turn of the hips simultaneously cocking back and letting loose to Tyreek Hill in triple coverage down to the left-hand side of the end zone for a touchdown. So all of those things kind of coming together, there's like three, maybe four, maybe five offenses that are really utilizing all of those pieces. We have Bobby Slowick in Houston. We have Sean McVay in uh, Los Angeles. We have Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Um, And 
we have Mike McDaniel in Miami. So we have three, well, actually Miami's on there as well. We have four of those offensive coordinators that are really, really leaning into how do I exploit this too high base shell? That's important because all four of those teams are on this slate. Is there anything that jumps out from any of those four teams? Um, Bobby Slowick in Houston, Sean McVay for the Rams, Mike McDaniel in Miami, and then Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Is there anything that jumps out to you on this particular slate as potential upside spots? I mean, I would just say, is it any surprise that we've consistently seen tournament winning fantasy scores come out of those teams? Like, look at, you know, look at how those teams have performed, right? Houston, yeah. the team that was not exactly viewed as going to be, you know, a good NFL team this year. But we've gotten elite fantasy scores out of both their primary wide receivers twice already. Miami has been delivering elite fantasy scores all season. Uh, the 49ers are, they're tougher because their their overall volume, their pass volume is lower. But we've gotten, yeah. you know, elite fantasy scores from Christian McCaffrey, from Brandon Ayuk. Uh, from George Kittle on his three catch three touchdown performance. Yeah. That of course happened on an island game. So I couldn't play him. Uh, we've gotten, you know, an elite score from Diva Samuel. It's like the teams that are doing this, like they're they're consistently delivering elite DFS scores. And like, you know, surprise, it makes sense, right? You succeed in yeah. you succeed in, in real football by taking apart the uh and exploiting the most uh popular, you know, the the current the current hit defensive coverage scheme. And you're going to deliver good DF, good fantasy results as well. So, like, I have been consistently targeting those teams all year because it feels like they just have the the lower chance of the bottom falling out, right? Like, we've yeah. seen teams in good spots fail all season, and look, and that can happen any season, right? You, well, teams always have bad games, but like. You know, like, let's go back to Kansas City, right? One of the best offenses of the last several years. Kansas City scored 17 points against Jacksonville uh, in week two, 21 points against Detroit in week one, 19 points against Denver. You know, like we've seen um, teams like, you know, teams that aren't able to beat this coverage scheme, they can still have good games, right? It's not to say that those teams cannot ever put up good fantasy games, but it feels like they're going to be more inconsistent, and so I like I have been leaning hard on on Miami, especially um, because it's not only are they an elite offense, uh, they're an elite offense that has successfully figured out how to exploit the cover two shell, and that is a condensed offense. Right? Yeah. Houston is not an elite offense, but they figured out how to exploit the cover two shell, and they're a condensed offense. San Francisco is an elite offense, figured out cover two shell, but is not condensed. Although without Debo, they've become Debo, more yeah. so. Um, and, uh, why am I missing the other one? <laughs> the Rams, the Rams, the Rams are not an elite offense, although they probably could be with a little yeah. bit better touchdown, uh, you know, touchdown luck. Um, they, they would be viewing the Rams a lot differently if Matthew Stafford had anywhere near a league average touchdown rate. Um, so they're kind of a borderline elite offense and also very, it's like those offenses bring the things that we want, right? We want. Offenses that can put up a lot of points that have high floors where like a low, a low likelihood of just the, a total offensive failure. And yeah. uh, where we have a, we have a really good chance of successfully predicting where the ball is going because you've also seen, I mean, we've all played DFS games. We nail the offense and then the offense. Yes. This offense scored five touchdowns today, but not a single 
tournament worthy fantasy score came out of it because all five touchdowns went to five different guys and no one hit, no one yeah. got to hundred yards or, you know, a fullback catches a touchdown and a lineman or whatever. Right. Like, so those offenses are, they've been all season, the primary ones I'm targeting because they, they check those boxes of high floors, elite upside, uh, and, and a, an, a strong degree of predictability of where the production's coming from. Yeah, and something you mentioned uh, earlier was the fact that we only had two skill possession players score more than 30 fantasy points uh, last week in Dante Foreman. Um, and who was the other one? Uh, Travis Kelsey. And Travis Kelsey, duh. Yeah. Um, this week, or this uh, for week eight, we have some decisions to be made. And even just looking at these four offenses that we, we kind of talked about to this point, Christian McCaffrey priced at 9,200 against a... Very, very zone-heavy Cincinnati Bengals defense. We have Nico Collins and Tank Dell that you talked about. Tank Dell coming off of their bye week. Is he going to be healthy after the concussion? Probably. We hope so. Um, I mean, looking at Roshan Johnson, took uh, him two weeks. He's still not clear of the protocol. So, um, obviously, we have some uncertainty there. But um, them in a matchup with a very, very zone-heavy Carolina Panthers defense, we have Cooper Cup is very interesting on the slate because the Dallas Cowboys are in man coverage at the second highest rate in the league. Puka Nakua, elite, absolutely elite against zone coverage, but his targets per route run rate drops from 34% against zone to just 17% against man coverage. And that's with most of his season so far played without Cooper Cup. So Cooper Cup, Priced at 9K, coming off of an absolute clunker dud, 6.9 fantasy point performance. I know because I played him. I played him on 100% of my rosters this last week. So ask me any questions you want about that one. <laughs> um, and then we have Tyreek Hill. Uh, Jalen Waddle getting banged up, had the back issue, missed an entire quarter plus of play uh, last night. But Tyreek Hill just continuing to go out there and win in this um, Mike McDaniel offense. So that was three players that are priced above 9K for this upcoming slate that we have to be kind of accounting for, um, all in offenses that are actively looking to exploit too high. How do you make that? Is this a, a situation where you can foresee just like, hey, at least one of these guys are going to be in every single one of my rosters this week? I think that there's a good chance of that. It's hard to make a definitive statement. Yeah, like this is Monday, Monday yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think there's a good chance of it. And if you want, and it also very clearly tells us that one way, like we can safely predict even on Monday that all three of those guys are likely to be pretty highly owned. Maybe come mm -hmm. to a lesser extent because even though Dallas, you know, even though he smashes man coverage, Dallas is still a really good defense, right? One of the top defenses yeah. in the league. Uh, it's not likely his ownership gets to the same level because people are just going to shy away from attacking Dallas. But they're all going to be owned, right? All three, is going to, all three of those guys are going to be owned. And so it opens up an opportunity to say, what if more than one of them hits? Not, ma yep. not many guys are, not many rosters are going to have both of them or two of them, right? So like, I think there's a good chance that all of my rosters have one of those guys. Because when you start, look, when you start going a little bit down the tier of skill position players, um, <clears throat> at the next sort of tier of pricing down, you start to see a gap in, in overall attractiveness, right? Like Jamar Chase against San Francisco, great player against San Francisco's defense. Eh, 
you know, shaky. Yeah. Travis Kelsey, you talked about Saquon Barkley against the Jets and their defense. Ugh. Puka against Dallas and their heavy man coverage. Ugh. Raheem Mostert is really starting to get pricey. Um, you know, like you start like the next tier is I think that those three guys clear are clearly a tier of their own, not just in pricing, but all in really in the likelihood of their success. And so is it possible to squeeze two of them onto a roster? Because if they both if you have if multiple of those elite guys put up, you know, 35 fantasy points, that could be an interesting path that very few people are taking. I will say this though, too. On weeks when there's like really clear elite chalk, I always try to have a little bit of exposure to balance teams to get away from the stars and scrubs construction that you tend to need to do to get to the 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 9k plus plays. So yeah, I probably won't actually have them on every roster. I'll probably have some very some intentionally more balanced builds that try to avoid the scrubs and stars construction. But but overall, like how can you knock that they're all they're they're elite plays in I don't want to say elite spots, like you know, we don't have CMTC is not facing Denver, right? Yeah. Uh, or Carolina. But you know, they're all in they're all in good spots. Like elite players in good spots. We didn't even mention a one AJ Brown who just tied history this week uh by surpassing 125 yards receiving in five straight games. Um the last time that was done was old Megatron Calvin Johnson uh in Detroit. That is noteworthy nonetheless. I mean, look at this 131 yards. 175, 127, 131, 137. Only the three touchdowns in that span, but two of them came against his week eight opponent in the Washington Commanders. So what do you make of AJ Brown now we're, we're in the discussion of elite upside here at oh, the man. higher pricing tier? <clears throat> he has, uh, he's a guy who I think has, if you look at guys who've really changed um, my mind from my perception of them in the preseason, Mm-hmm. Obviously, guys like Puka are, are the top of the list, right? Like, I don't think anyone expected a fifth round pick uh, to dominate like Puka has. But of really established veteran players, AJ Brown has to be way at the top of the list because I, and I think I'm not alone in this, really thought that the like, last season we saw Devonta Smith really close the gap between AJ Brown. They had very similar underlying metrics, very similar production. And I think, you know, the expectation was that as A.J. Brown continues to get a year older and Devonta Smith continues to sort of emerge, that we would start to see that role flip more in Devonta Smith's favor. And does that necessarily mean it happens this year? I don't know. But we, you know, I think the expectation is that over time, Devonta Smith will become the 1A to A.J. Brown's 1B. I'm not even sure Devonta Smith is a 1B right now. I yeah. mean, he's still a really good player, right? I'm not trying to, like, throw a shade on him. But it's also the way he's being used in the offense, right? A.J. Brown has 75 targets on the season. Devonta Smith only has 50, mm-hmm. right? The, the Eagles are changing how they're using them. It's not just about the, the outcomes and the results, right? The Eagles are clearly focusing more on A.J. Brown and less on Devonta Smith. Their volume per game when the games played together last season was much more, was much more uh, similar, was much closer. A.J. Brown is clearly separating uh, in this offense, which is not what I would have expected preseason. So, AJ and and also this is an offense that doesn't throw a lot, right? It, the Eagles are not one yeah. of the highest pass volume offenses in the NFL, and so when you see that AJ Brown is averaging almost 11 targets a game in a relatively low volume offense, like that's amazing, you know. Like you look at the 49 another 49ers, another like rush first, low pass volume, high efficiency offense, right? Kind of like the Eagles. Um, it's rare to see a 49er get 10 targets in a game, 
right? Because like they spread the ball around, they have they have multiple elite pass catching options, just like the Eagles. They t- it's rare for them to throw 35 times a game. Um, so for AJ Brown to be averaging over 10 targets a game uh, as on the Eagles is is astounding, and he's he's gotten 10 plus, and I want to say five of seven. Um, oh, sorry, four of seven. But he's got yeah. You know, tar- he's got games of 13, 14, 15 targets, like. He is, and those are also those include games in which the Eagles won handily, right? They they beat Miami by two touchdowns. Yeah, they didn't break away till late. Yeah, but like they were still hitting AJ Brown late in the game. Uh, they beat Tampa by two touchdowns. He got fourteen targets in that game. So like, my preconception of the Eagles is one, they're a team that's that's fast to take their foot off the gas as they were last year, and you you really need to get your scoring on the way up in a non competitive game. And this game is you know, seems likelier than not to be a comfortable Eagles win. So you're looking at it thinking, okay, it's probably one of those ones where I need to get my scoring on the way up. But do you? Because like, it feels like they're playing differently this year. It feels like they're, they're still not throwing really deep into the game unless the game is competitive. But, you know, we do see, we have seen more uh, Jalen Hurts pass attempts. Jalen Hurts actually only has one game under 30 pass attempts this year so far, which was a really Mm -hmm. surprising stat to me because last year, you know, under attempts under 30 were common. They pulled Jalen Hurts um, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. They were up by two or three touchdowns and they just like let their backup QB close out the game. Most teams don't do that, right? Like it's like an NBA thing where you see the backups come in to close the game out and then blow out. Um, you know, so the Eagles are they're playing differently this year and AJ Brown has been the primary beneficiary and he is just like reaving souls out there on the football field. Like he yeah. has been... He's been eye-opening, right? Like, I don't know what other adjectives to throw out there, you know. And he's not like a <laughs> receiver. We know we've always known he's good. Um, so it's not that's not really a surprise, but like, but the volume and the consistency of the production are what the surprise is. Like we've known he, he's always had tons of upside, but you know, like it, the, the volume and consistency are a surprise to me. And you know, he probably belongs in that same conversation. I, I do. Maybe this is just my sort of historical bias I'm having a hard time letting go of, but I still feel like I still have that sense that the, the Eagles are one of those teams that you <clears throat> generally want to see be pushed in order to reach their ceilings. Um, yeah. And not every team in the NFL is like that. Some you know, lots of teams in the NFL will hit ceilings regardless of what their opponent is doing. Um, but like, maybe I need to let go of that. You know, maybe I need to let go of that bias and say, hey, that was last year. You know, this is this year. Do you think we had a uh, we had AJ Brown with uh, a target total his season low of six targets against Minnesota, and the big thing that came out of that game was that AJ Brown was in um, was in Jalen Hurts's face on the sideline, and then after that he's rattled off five consecutive games of 125 yards or more. Is this a thing? Like we know these two are close. We know that Jalen Hurts is the godfather of one of AJ Brown's sons is this a legitimate like connection type thing where like, Hey man, you gotta give me the ball a little bit. It's funny. It's, it's, I don't like speculating and it's hard yeah. for me to speculate on something like that because, you know, I just, I don't know their relation. I know he's, you know, he got the Godfather thing going on. It's probably fair to think that, you know, if two guys are close, I don't think it's so much that like Jalen hurts is like, I can throw it. And I can throw it to Brown. I can throw it to Goddard. I can throw it to Smith. But Brown's my buddy. I'm going to toss it his way. But like, but it is fair to think that if two guys are close, that they can just play better together, right? Like they might, you know, you hear about players who spend time working out together in the off season, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like they just, they, it's fair to think they could develop more of a rapport where 
you know, the quarterback can just say like, I know how he's going to run this route. I know when he's going to turn, you know, like I know where to put the ball so that he's there when it arrives, you know, like that kind of connection, right. It's like the Tom Brady, Julian Edelman kind of connection where like Brady would just make throws and Edelman would just be there every single time because they just played together for so long. So, you know, something like that, maybe like I could see that, you know, like, and Jalen Hurts has not historically been the kind of quarterback who latches on to his primary target, right? Like some quarterbacks yeah. are like that. They just, they, they focus their primary target and they just bombard them. Um, you know, Matthew Stafford is like that. All the primary target can switch from game to game as we saw this last week, but yeah. you know, Matthew Stafford is very much a like, here's my guy. He's winning. He's beating his matchups this game. I'm just going to hit him like all the time. Hertz has not historically been that guy, right? He's historically spread the ball around more, but maybe that's part of the shift we're seeing, right? Maybe that as he's, growing and maturing as a quarterback, maybe part of that maturation is saying, you know, if I have a guy who I can consistently bet on to be open on almost every play, maybe I don't need to keep keep spreading the ball around so much to try and confuse the defense. Maybe the smarter thing to do is just keep throwing it to the guy who's open on every play until the defense proves they can stop him. Yeah. And AJ Brown is winning and winning consistently downfield. Uh, we got about 10 minutes left here, Mr. Zandemir. Um, anything else jump out to you from initial pricing perspective when looking at these pricing release for the first time? Yeah, let's let's do it. Should we just do like a quick browse through? Yeah. I feel like we don't we don't have like this was a light injury week, which which is like, thank God, right? Like I feel like yeah. every week you're playing in dread um, of like who's gonna get hurt this week. I don't really see a lot of like impactful running back injuries, at least as of right now, like we new ones rather, like we might still get Miles Sanders out, in which case we get Chuba Hubbard, who at 4,800 would sure look like a good value. Um, The Rams situation, the Rams backfield was interesting where like Zach Evans looked like the guy early in the week and they like signed Daryl Henderson off the street and he wasn't even in the player pool for the I know he's right there this week and they gave him 19 touches off the street he was like he supposedly reported in like 30 pounds overweight or whatever which fine because he wasn't he was like sitting on his couch right (laughs) yeah I mean Sean McVay called him up was like dude we need you he's like I'm you know I'll waddle my way over there um but like they're against Dallas right so like there's not a lot of really interesting injury situation at running back at least yeah um that it gives us like soup that gives us really stellar values at running back um, I, you know, runs well, running back is actually a tough position for me this week. Like there, there aren't a lot of inexpensive plays that look really strong, um, <clears throat> to me. Like, I think the one cheap, like the one cheap guy that stands out to me at first glance is, uh, is Damian Pierce, who has been wildly inefficient this year. Damian Pierce is averaging like 2.9 yards per carry. Um, but his role has remained sound, even in games that the Texans have gotten absolutely dusted. He's still gotten at least 14, or sorry, at least 13 touches is his minimum. Um, he actually has had a bunch of really tough running back matchups so far, right? Like, you know, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, New Orleans. Now he gets the Panthers who are one of the softest running back matchups in the league. And he's only 5,300 that seems like a reasonable value option um, for me at, at running back. What about, uh, what about Jerome Ford who picked up an ankle injury this past uh, week and now it's could be just Kareem hunt there in Cleveland. 
I think if it's so if Ford continued to play most of the game, right? Like he looked nicked up early and, but he didn't leave the game until the fourth quarter. So I don't know if that was like a second injury or if he aggravated it or if he just said like, Hey, it's really starting to be achy. Like I kind of, you know, let's just, let's take it easy. I don't really know. And so until we get more news, but like, I'm just generally not in the habit of playing running backs against Seattle. Yeah. Uh, Seattle is one of the top DVOA, you know, run defenses in the league. We've not generally seen running backs have a lot of success against them this year. Uh, you know, you could certainly make a bet on Hunt just based on volume if Ford is out. But like Seattle is averaging 87 rushing yards allowed per game. So I don't yeah. know that's like it's not a it's not a lock button kind of spot. And Hunt's also, you know, he's 5,200. So he's not horrendously expensive, but he's not like bargain basement either. Um, yeah. If Ford is out, I think he's definitely in consideration. We also know that he historically has a strong passing game role. We haven't really seen it this year. He's he's historically a good pass catcher, and, and Ford has actually gotten. I think I think Ford did not enter the league with a reputation as a as a great pass catcher, but he's gotten you know 19 targets. He's gotten at least uh, at least two catches in every game since Chubb went down. So like you could project mm-hmm. some some passing game role for Hunt to give him a little bit of a boost. So he'd be okay. I think he'd be fine. That's uh all, was also interesting to me because Kareem Hunt scored those two touchdowns, uh, but he only saw 19 offensive snaps. Pierre oh, Strong God. saw 23 offensive snaps uh, alongside Jerome Ford there. So yeah, could be some uh, some interesting ambiguities there. Um, what about wide receivers? See anything valuable there uh, in the value portion? Uh, so I think, I mean, I will always. I don't know. I don't know if Nico Collins counts as a value play. 5500. 5, I think Wait, he's. I think he's a value play for the upside he brings at 5,500. He has two games this season over 30 fantasy points. Um, Good luck finding anyone else at 5K who has two games this year over 30 fantasy points, Um, right? Like at the wide receiver position. But outside of that, um, if we're really talking value, like sub 5K, well, his his teammate Tank Dell, um, who I assume is, I assume most guys come back from a concussion after a week or two. Uh, yeah. If Tank Dell is not playing, that's like a much more serious medical concern, right? If he's not, if he's not recovered from a concussion after what three weeks, uh, that yeah. would be a real worry for for poor Mister Dell. So we will we will wish him well and hope that he's hope he's coming back. Um, <clears throat> other cheap wide receivers like Kendrick Bourne is a guy who is like horrendously not exciting to me because I just think of him as like this veteran dude who's kind of lingered around the league for a long time and generally not done much occasionally from vulture touchdowns away from guys that I've been playing. Yeah. But he's actually, he's been the Patriots leading receiver this, uh, this year so far, right? He's got three games of 17.3 or more DraftKings points. He's got a couple games of double digit targets, you know, against Miami when we know that the Patriots are going to be throwing a ton. Like I don't hate that. I I'm still going to keep waiting for the Jahan Dotson breakout. Like yeah. the guy's good, right? Like, unless I'm wrong, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe he's not, maybe I'm wrong, but like, he sure looked good at times last year and, you know, he got eight targets last week. Uh, he hasn't broken out, but the matchup against a very, very pass funnel um, Philly defense looks strong. Yeah. Curtis Samuel in the same boat. Uh, I think Elijah Moore, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Seattle is really, really good against the run. Uh Elijah Moore doesn't really run the kind of routes that take the best that make the best use of 
he hasn't run. I'm just trying to remember. He's he's running outside now. Or, or no, he's running. Is he running slot? Or they have Amari running slot? I can't even remember. Yeah, he's slot. Allegedly. Okay, never mind. Sorry. Uh, then actually, let's take that back about the matchup because Seattle is getting absolutely eviscerated over the middle of the field. So Elijah Moore could be an interesting option. I mean, Deshaun Watson has not looked good as the problem, but um, yeah. But I, you know, it's and it's weird, right? Like it's weird how bad Deshaun Watson has looked. I mean, he's had plenty of time <laughs> to come back to come get back into sort of game shape. Um, yeah. I think if Zay Jones makes his return, although who knows if that'll happen, and then like and there's a question of what role he'll have. Like Zay Jones was running. Uh, ahead of Christian Kirk in two wide sets at the very start in, in preseason and at the start of the season. Yeah. Um, but Christian Kirk has been absolutely dominating. So does Zay Jones get that rollback when he comes back or is he just, is he lost it because, you know, he was hurt and Christian Kirk crushed. Um, Rashid Shahid is a guy I just, I will always take shots on because he just brings tremendous inconsistency. Right. But tr- find me another guy at 3,900 who has two games of 18.3 DraftKings points or more. Um, yeah. Right. Like Rashid Shahid has a lot of upside and we know that, you know, we want pass catchers versus Indy. Um, I think those are the, that's probably the main list. I, I, I keep wanting to fire at giants receivers, but against the jets I know. <laughs> to do that. Yeah. I fired and I fired this past week. I fired a lot. It's painful. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Jalen Hyatt is finally playing snaps. He had two long grabs this past weekend, but I mean, on how many targets? <laughs> like Five? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's probably it for me as well. I think the field is going to be looking to tight end uh, to find value once again. Um, it's just the easy way to go. The field is probably going to be looking to defense to find value. Um, to try and jam in some of these high price guys that we talked about earlier. Um, with that, X, dude, it was a distinct pleasure having you on. We're going to have to do this again once you get that damn webcam, man. <laughs> um, but congrats on being unemployed. I know that sounds really freaking weird, but um, having been there three years ago, I know that some cool opportunities can come um, when you're finding your own way. So I wish you nothing but the best, dude. Again, Zandamir and I work heavily out of one week season. Go check out our work over at one week season. Check out the props package that we uh, alluded to earlier. And until next time, X, thank you for coming on, man. It's a pleasure. It's fun to talk some ball on Monday. I don't really get to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, dude. See you next time. Later, guys. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All-In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.